Turn on that radio and back here. The cops ain't likely to catch up with us, not tonight. So we can all be quiet and peaceable and listen to the music. I'm expecting them to do great things. All right. All right, guys. First of all, I want to thank uh, Digital Dealer for giving us this opportunity. And let me correct a couple of things. John Marazzi, he is not the owner of Maserati, but he, uh, he may drive one. He's, um, he is, he's a top 10 Honda net profit dealer in the nation. We've got Matt Lasco, which is a beast and certified uh, Ford pre-owned. He's in a town of 12,000. And um, he's got the attention of a lot of the uh, big Ford dealers around him. We've got, of course, Rick Reichart, the Mark Cuban of uh, CPO. And we have Brett Oob. And uh, I called him Oubre for the first uh, long time that I knew him as well. And uh, we're going to just jump right in. Hopefully, guys, this is not going to be um, my goal and our goal here is uh, it, it, this is our show. Uh, we do a show every Thursday. This is the only plug, but this is uh, Auto Deal Live, and it's Thursday at 3.30 Eastern. Um, I'd suggest uh, listening to it and watching us because we care about the business. These guys have all been on the show multiple times, and once every other month we do a Great American Automotive panel, and we question dealers. And I don't know about you, but how cool is it to see four dealers sitting on a stage answering questions for you guys? Isn't that pretty cool? That's pretty cool to me. And not just dealers. We're talking about guys who are selling a lot of cars. And uh, so jumping right into it, our goal is not to just have another panel. Hopefully, we can. Uh, it's going to be a little bit spirited, possibly. We may disagree. But what we're trying to do today, and these guys know it, is hopefully they will talk to each other and kind of have an interaction. And you're just going to get a chance to kind of chill out and hang. But on Twitter, we're going to ask your questions if you feel uh, prompted by tweeting using the hashtag DD20 and Hashtag auto dealer live, both of them. If you do that, our guys are going to shoot me uh, some questions that make the vetting, and then we'll throw those into the mix, guys. You guys ready? Yeah, All right. So we're going to start with, uh, and what we're kind of doing here is kind of a mashup. It's going to be all kinds of topics, and these guys are going to go, and we're going to let them go. So I'm going to start this topic, Matt and, uh, and, and Rick. Um, we'll start with you, Rick. You know, 2015, man, BDC. All right, BDC has been, we're going to kind of button this thing up once and for all, and it's been a topic that I think everybody is, you know, smacked it up, flipped it, rubbed it down, to quote Bell Bib DeVoe. And, you know, nobody thinks they have it wrong. Everybody thinks they have it right. So BDC, what's the right way to do it according to Rick Reichardt? Is it, is it more than one layer? Do your sales guys need to do it from soup to nuts? Talk about how you do it. From strictly a sales perspective, yeah, a salesperson, if you pay your salespeople commission and you want them to be professional salespeople, they should be able answer a telephone. So I, I like keeping the sales staff on the phone. I think my mic's going in out here. Keeping the sales staff on the phones, letting them answer those incoming calls. They should know their inventory better than anyone. They should, they should know how to answer a phone. They're going to be the ones that meet the customer. You want to keep them with one person as much as you can. So why have a $10 an hour, $12 an hour kind of entry level person taking that initial call? They have to be able 
create that urgency with the information in the right way and get them in the door. You know, it's about getting those feet in your showroom. The same rules marketing has been for years. It's all about getting feet in the, in the showroom. Now there are so many good tools out there today that can do things like data mine and you can go find your lost customers, your recovery, your equity position things. And not all the sales staff may have the time or be good at that. So if you have professional phone people that can do some of those outbound, almost recovery style, bring them back. BDC is Business Development Center. So develop those that are lost customers almost. I'm, I'm okay with that. We're actually trying a BDC in our service department right now. And, um, but as far as sales, Alan Ram when you said that. I, I, don't, I don't see any reason for sales to have a BDC unless it's many days after that customer's you know, declared not buying today. Okay. Let me ask you, John, what do you say salespeople or dealers would say, hey, I can't get my salespeople to do that. I, I, you know, I have to hire this extra you know, group of people, maybe this $10 an hour, this BDC, maybe even outsource it. What do you say to a dealer that does that? Well, I mean, it's all about leadership. You know, in an internet department, you can really, you could sub out the BDC, you can have a BDC, you can do cradle to grade, but there's actually a fourth one which everybody should be thinking about right now, and that is, if you were a commission automobile salesperson, would you want to work at a dealership where you got none of the sales calls and none of the internet leads? And the answer would be no. Uh, so really what you got to think about nowadays, I've seen a great uh, presentation by Alan Ram today, and he was talking about the next up, which is a up system. But really in a modern car dealership right now, what really should happen is all your commission salespeople should be rotating through that internet department, in addition having an up system outside so they're not punished and then maybe two or three days in, two or three days out. That's really what should happen. And if we use the excuse that we can't teach an old dog a new trick, and we can't have these guys actually professionally handle calls or professionally write an email or send out the right templates, what you really got to do is kind of look at the leadership of your store and reevaluate that. You want to weigh in on that, Brett? Well, I mean, I think everybody's got their own idea, right? I mean, it's... You know, and I mean, it, a good idea executed relentlessly on a daily basis, whether it's John's idea or Rick's idea or my idea, it's probably going to come to fruition. But for us, our whole culture is leadership-based and growth-based. And so we have strong goals of where we want to go, where we want to be. And to do that, we've got to raise people up out of our ranks. So if, if, if we immediately remove 30% of their job away from them, they're probably not going to get raised up and get to the point where they can be sales managers and finance managers and general sales managers. And so our process today is they absolutely take it. Now, that being said, every customer's gold. So when that customer touches our store, our managers are reaching out and touching them. Our general sales managers reaching out and touching them. And then we've got, we've got a, a team of salespeople that do a better job on the phone. And we do the same TO system we would do on the floor. If the salesperson couldn't get them in, we give them to another hawk to go in and try to get them in again. Is TO a bad word, Matt? TO? Yeah. No. I, 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 you can use it whatever term it is, but it, you have to take an opportunity to, to give a different face to everybody. We, we don't all get along with the, the, the same personality, and someone else can, can fall into that and probably do pretty success. You know? I heard you talk today, and, and Matt, you just built a new store. I guess you moved in a couple, couple of months ago. And uh, what you were able to do, first of all, out of, a, out of a small store that was built, you know, decades ago, 
you know, designed, a, I think, what, sell 70 cars maximum a month at that point? Yeah. You were still operating out of that, selling over 300. And, and I want to I ask you, you know, you built this suite. You were talking about today, and I even learned something reading breakfast. You were talking about how your office is centered around the system and what you're able to monitor. Talk a little bit about that, because I think that has to do with this whole culture we're talking about, and it includes the BDC. It includes who handles the leads. Yeah. I, I guess what we try to get everybody to understand is you, you have to accept that you're going to have some uncomfortable scenarios if you want your team to produce. Uh, production and accountability is everything if you want to squeeze the most out of whatever business you're in. And a lot of people miss that because they don't have, and you bring up what we have, we have a, a sales tower system that we developed that my showrooms, I sit in the very middle of it, right outside of me, kind of glass, glass windows going in, is my six desk managers. Right outside of them is a glass wall that has every single working deal in my dealership, every test drive, every desk deal, every sold deal, every no close. And then outside of that is my 28 sales desks. I can sit in my office and see every single working person inside my dealership from my desk. And that tiny little bit, I brought every, everybody's had to come in my office and see it to look out so they know that I can see everything. And the accountability and me being able to force that productivity is what's changed that. Um, on the, the business development side of things, you know, I was, Rick hit it on the point. It's a business development center. So it's designed to develop business, not to take inbound calls. Inbound calls is already on its way. I don't need someone to, to handle that that's not a professional. So I, I really agree. We put the top, top people that we have on it. And, there's some great tools out there. You know, uh, one of the practices as we got from, uh, it's funny, Alan, you're getting plugs today, but at, I sat with Alan Ram a couple years ago and he, he told us about a story of a general manager friend of his that every hour he brought in his staff and they, they listened to every phone call, and reviewed every single phone call. And we actually can, can committed even more. And every live phone call that hits our dealership, those six desk managers in front of me, they have to review it within a minute. And you don't need a BDC to take phone calls if the managers are listening to every phone call. Your sales staff will naturally have to do a great job and or your management team will start to bring them in, review a call, make them better, say Bobby's not taking phone calls today, he's, he's you know, not done his job on this part, so-and-so's not authorized to take phone ups. You just have to develop some sense of accountability on your inbound calls and your salespeople will do what they have to do. Uh, if you don't have any of that, then yes, you're better off with the BDC because everyone takes a phone call, scratches it on a note, never puts it in the CRM, and it goes to garbage. But if you, from leadership side, are willing to commit to it and really control it, you don't have to have it because your sales reps have to do what you expect of them. All right, well said. And, and uh, you know, just, just to kind of button up one other small issue here, we're taking just a couple of minutes on this. On the issue of monitoring calls, on the issue of who should monitor them, you know, there's, um, I think that nobody, I've heard nobody, even though some people don't monitor whatsoever, I think that you'd have a hard time getting them to admit that. But many will rely on someone maybe less than qualified, even an outside source to do that. Rick, is that a bad idea? No. No. We'll even have our cashiers, operators listen to the calls. We build a review sheet for them to check certain boxes and make sure and double, like said, they got to be in the CRM. Just the accountability of the sales staff knowing that we're looking and we're inspecting what we expect goes into their minds so that before they pick the phone even up, they put a smile on their face and they know what to do. And if that phone's hung up, those notes are in the CRM 
And so that way, when someone listens to it, they're getting a good. Do you think that uh, Matt? Would you? I mean, is that something? It's 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 like I said. It's the accountability factor is is so powerful. We play ours on Friday mornings in the meeting. We'll take one great call and one bad call. Play it every Friday, and we don't criticize a person. We just coach. We we give someone a high five that did a great job, etc. I, I challenge anyone in the room that has a BDC, this is how we grade our phone-ups. Same-day sales is everything. I bought more lunches and everything you could think of for someone that took a phone-up and sold it on the same day. The ratio of that happening from a business development person taking a call, not really having all the answers, not being a salesperson to develop that super urgent reason to come down, it's, it's a fifth of, of what it is when you put a professional on the phone and say, yes, I'm available today at 3 o'clock. How about yourself, Mr. Customer? Let's come down and do business. Uh, and I think that's a hidden thing that P the BDC companies and people out there don't understand is they're setting appointments based on the customer's availability. They're not setting it on any type of an urgency. And uh, that's, that's what we do as well. I, I personally think that uh, grading the calls is nice, especially to train them. But I think that flat out listening to them and acting on them is everything. You if, right. uh, sorry, I thought I heard something shout out there. It, if you had a, a, a bad phone call come in and someone calls in and a desk manager is listening to it right now and the guy doesn't ask for an appointment or doesn't give him an answer, our desk managers pick the phone up right now and call. So what better TO can you get than putting a manager on the phone three seconds later and saying, hey, I noticed you call, how was your experience? Yeah, in, in, uh, Matt, Matt does something, and I know you want to talk about that. That might be one of the best practices or that you, you may talk about, I'm sure, at the end. But, you know, John, um, speaking of that, I mean, uh, Matt has a situation where managers are flipped, even on a phone call, a TO, to have another crack at maybe a, a, an up that, that was in the dealership. And I know that you're a big believer of TOs. And, you know, talk about that for a minute and also touch on the monitoring, and then we'll move on to another subject. Well, what Matt's talking about is really the culture of his business. Um, everybody there understands that it's not who sells the most, it's who spills the least. And if you really focus on every opportunity, you know, in our industry, many of us have been around for, you know, quite a while, we had floor closers, we had desk guys, and, and a lot of us still do, yet 80% of our business is coming in in the back. And that paradigm of those guys and us guys is still permeating in a typical car dealership. And what we really preach to our people is they're all opportunities. So, you know, listening to the calls in real time, I mean, is there anything more important than that? That is your modern day up that's walking in the door. And that measure of accountability throughout the organization, we measure everything. We measure F&I managers every morning, ASMs every morning, our salespeople, our closers, our profit. We, we use a software program called Accessa, which is the single best software you know, for that accountability part, where in seconds you can run any report and look at anything that's going on, as well as our CRM management. And, and, and one of the things that we do that's most important is we have two full-blown internet directors. And they happen to be here today, so I'll uh, give, you, give you guys a shout out. But they're, they're two of my best managers in the entire dealership work 
running that internet department. And a, a lot of stores are quite frankly undermanned in that arena between trying to get things fixed on the website and landing pages and campaigns going. They're not in a position where they're able to actually work them. So in addition to them two, we have a manager flowing into that department every day and we rotate that manager. So. They, we got rid of that separation between the sales department and the internet department. Brett, I'm going to poke the bear a little bit here because I know that I said one way to get Brett stirred up is you know, to kind of tell you what a vendor said in some way uh, from the wrong perspective. You came from the vendor world mm -hmm. and, uh, and then real estate and then you own four stores and you're on a buying spree now. So I want to ask you, there's, and, and, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I want to ask you, you know, today, uh, one of our panels, we had some discussion with some vendors. It was kind of heated, but uh, mostly were vendors on the panel, and they were talking about eliminating the F&I, kind of almost like a one price, one person. As a dealer, because there was a lot of going back and forth with um, these individuals, and, and some of them were saying, you know, this is, this is something that's needed. This is something that people want. And then other people were saying, you're not going to get the dealers to shift this way. What's your opinion on this one price, one person concept? Well, I'm not going to get into the one price, one person because that's a, that's a huge debate. But what I will say about the vendor role is, I, is when, I, when I come to these conferences, I, I always kind of chuckle inside because I hear a lot of vendors tell us what we need to do to run our businesses. And I was a vendor and probably acted that way sometimes myself. And then when I got on the other side of the desk, I realized you don't have a clue. Because you sell a program, you need to figure out how your program can help the dealership move the needle, but don't come in and tell me how to run my business. And when you're talking about the one price and the one, and whether we're gonna eliminate the F&I office, it's really, until you walk a mile in somebody else's shoes, you have no clue of what you're talking about. You have no clue how it affects regulatory stuff, compliance, disclosure. There's so much more to it than the customer buying habits that go into it. And so that's my opinion of that kind of stuff. Does anybody else want to weigh in on that? Yeah, I, I don't. I, I think that the key things he hit there is the compliance and, and regulation. I, I don't think it's possible to take a, a sales rep that was working at Applebee's last year and, and now sold cars for 12 months and put a $72,000 loan contract in front of them and say, make sure you sign all the dots and cross all the T's and make sure you collect their POI and make sure it's all right and make sure you can get my money funded. There's a reason there's key people in the finance department. And it can affect the dealership in such a major way when it comes to funding and, and cash flows and everything else. I personally don't think you'll ever see a day that there won't be a genuine finance department of some sort inside a dealership. Anybody else want to weigh in on it before we shift? I'm in complete agreement with both of them. I mean, there's, there's finance has a role from the regulatory compliance, understanding the documents, but if you could guarantee me that 60% of our customers are going to walk in the door asking for a service contract that we don't need to sell them, I may be willing to try it. Until then, you know, the way the margins are with the internet pricing and everything else going on, you need every available profit center that you can running at 100%. Hey, let me add this. It's kind of a little off topic, but it goes to the vendor discussion. Is when we went out to Vegas, what was that, October time, right? time frame? I went to several of those vendor discussions, and every one of them would tell us that the, you don't understand the sales price anymore. We do. Your customers don't want to meet with you. They want to hide behind chat and text and email and all that. But I need you to set an appointment with me so I can explain to you why. So, <laughs> In person. <laughs> so 
my point, my point being is, is that it's kind of disingenuous. And if you go, if you go to somewhere with a disingenuous thing, it sells as a transference of feeling. You pick up on it that quick, if that makes sense. And I want you guys to understand some other vendors in the audience too. And, and I'm, of course, I'm a vendor. There's and, probably uh, more vendors than there are dealers, based on what may, I've seen since may, I've been here. Maybe, but I, and I'm a vendor, and I and I and I. I mean, Brett's a ball buster to me, first and foremost. But you know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. Um, I I I want to. I want to. This is unplugged, and I think it's good. I think it's good for the industry, and I think it's good to hear you guys say this because we can only get better. I've learned how to sell better. So I want to. I want to. I want to do this. I want to shift, and I want to talk. We're gonna put this to bed, and I'm not even. I'm gonna let. I'm gonna ask John, but we're gonna put it straight to bed. And uh, let me tell you something. First of all, John, you're in my market, and I know you're heavily branded. You know, you're heavily branded, and I know that you didn't want to be asked this question necessarily because because it doesn't really affect your business one way or the other. You're you're killing it, but it is something that affects the dealers out there. And I want you guys to weigh in on the salesperson branding themselves and how we deal with this. Because look, we can we all know that branding is needed. But here's the concern I hear from dealers. They don't understand how to do it, what to do, where to draw the lines. And it is an issue for dealers. And then, you know, I know you're a proponent because you say, hey, I'm the owner. You know, I put the money up, right? It's my name on it. And so there are some lines. And can you, can you explain that? Because I think that a lot of dealers, more, Matt, you and I were talking about this this morning, more than will admit have concerns about this. So maybe help, help them understand possibly a way that you could view that. And then I'll let Matt touch on it. And then we'll put it to bed. <laughs> I've been on a show two times and he, he nails me with this subject every time because of my original, my original opinion and still my opinion is that we have to be very careful what we allow our people to do on social media. We have obviously manufacturer compliance, we have legalities, and we can't have people putting, you know, car deals and lease deals, and if they don't have the proper disclaimer, uh, if they're on Periscope and they're out there drinking or, you know, we, we just need to rein it in, and there's a way to do it, and the, the way to do it is similar to what, um, you know, I listened to a, a speech today by Laura, and she was, you know, talking about utilizing YouTube, but it's not about the deal, it's about the person. It's about giving an experience and giving information that's going to allow them to want to do business with you. But I think in an overall structure, there has to be a person that's going to approve any social media that any of your people do. And, uh, you know, and that way, because we're we're constantly worrying about uh, our compliance and our legalities and the last thing that we need is to be put in a, trip bag, a trick bag or be in the front page of a paper or God forbid on the news because it's something one of our employees de- uh, did. Matt Lasko, I'm going to let you weigh in on that and we're shift gears. Well, I think that, uh, so we're a big social media dealership, uh, uh, but it's the fear factor of why a lot of dealers don't want anyone to do it. And there's, there's, by embracing it a little bit, it allows us to have a little control over it. Uh, the, the truth is, and I'm fortunate, I've got a, an IT brother that, that if my name hits, if our last name hits anywhere on Google, his phone goes off. So, or Facebook or anything else. So I know if someone puts something up and he's looking at it. But the truth is, is, is I'm assuming there's a whole bunch of you out there that aren't on Facebook 97 hours a day and you're not on Instagram or Periscope or Twitter and everything else. So you really don't know what your people are doing anyways. So we, by embracing it, and I mean, we really train on it. I, I, watching people train on how to do a video and, and what it is, that's internally what we do every day. I will tell you this, it, it does work. 
I, I did a training on a Friday morning and I set up a contest that told everybody, whoever got the most views on a video today, um, they got Monday off, right? Millennials like time off, not money. So we, we, they all, we get together, I tell them a subject, they all get to go put their, their, uh, their videos up and they pop the videos up. I've got 20 salespeople at the, uh, my Ford store that, that did this. The highest video got 22, and they had to have the, the views got cut off that Friday night at, at 10 o'clock is when they, they, we counted them all up. The highest video had 2,200 views and 110 shares. But it went on down, and we got over 20,000 views in 12 hours. And they were all their own custom video. It never had a payment. It never had anything else. It was simply our owner would like us to reach out to all of our friends. They all did their own video, told them where they're at, come see us, et cetera. And the impact of it was amazing. And what was really cool is I watched a salesperson that lives in Fenton, grew up in Fenton, and sells some cars for us, have two different friends that he hasn't talked to in 20 years reach out to him that don't live in Fenton anymore, that bought cars from him from outside of the market because of what it did. So I agree with John. You, you have to watch compliance. We, we won't put any payments or ads up or anything like that. But I do think that there is a large opportunity within it. to In the branding of the salesperson, the reason I don't have much fear of that is, is we all have a really good business. And our customers are our customers. They buy from your dealership. You service them down the road. So yes, one amazing sales guy might leave and jump to the, the, the store down the street. And he might take some clientele. But the vast majority of all your clients are coming back to your dealership and you and what you offer. And if you're better than your competitors, they're not going to take people anyways. So I, I embrace it, and I just we, we try to stay involved in it so that we know the quality is good. And on the same note, I will tell you this. Any salesperson in my dealership that puts up something on Facebook on Saturday night that is not the way we would represent ourselves at the company, they'll get a text or an email from my brother in two minutes, and they'll be requested to take it down. If they choose not to take it down, then we won't let them social media market. You know, for me, it came down to the legal aspect of what human resources told me we could do and couldn't do with our employees when it came to social media, and the answer was there is no gray area. You either had to make it so they are not even allowed to say they work at the company, or you can't really tell them the way. you got to let them kind of go. So you got to create a culture where they take ownership and pride in their job, and, and they want to do it the right way. They want to learn. They want to train. And I believe a professional salesperson is someone who you know, keeps building their book of business. They keep growing as a salesperson. If they're taking ups on the floor after two and a half years, they're not a professional salesperson. They're an uptaker. Professional salesperson builds that book of business. They have repeat customers. They have referrals. Today, that's easier than ever with the world of social media. They can connect on a lifestyle level and a behavioral level with their, their customer base, and they can meet their friends that way. No, we don't want them telling them, you know, no professional salesperson wants to go share an ad for $99 a month anyways. I generally write those ads without a lot of gross in them. I don't know how you guys do it, but they're not going to go share some loser deal ads. They want customers that don't look for ads that are coming to them to ask them what they should do. That's what, that's what a professional salesperson is. So by all means, social media is a great avenue for them to become that. Right. Uh, I mean, we... All of our salespeople use social media. I, I, I think to assume that you can't at this point would be burying your head in the sand. I mean, that's how they communicate. That's how people. I mean, that's how. I mean, mo more people are communicating over that than they are than they are 
calling each other and talking to each other. So we certainly do that. As far as worrying about a salesperson uh, branding themselves, we, I mean, we encourage that. I mean, our whole culture is a leadership base. Come here. You can, you can grow your career. You can start at the ground level. You can become a dealer. You can become a general manager. You can become a service director. You can, you can be trained to go somewhere else if that's what you want to do. So we certainly want to build them up and really are not too concerned about if they left and went somewhere else because we, we have very little of that. And if they do, it's typically going to be a situation where we retain most of the customers anyway. All right, we've got a couple more topics, guys. And uh, John, I'm going to go with you here, and I'm going to let all you guys kind of touch on this if, you, if you'd like to. Sure. Um, here's the question, and it's an A, B, C, or I guess you could, you could add to it. But A, are we ready to buy cars online? And what I mean by that is, is an e total e-commerce type transaction where, you know, maybe a Carvana type, uh, you know, uh, model. Or B, is that narrative, quote, hyped up? C, combination of maybe both and we will slowly transition or evolve maybe over the next couple of decades. Do you have an opinion on that? Yeah, you know, there's um, many companies that have spent multiple millions of dollars trying to figure out that solution and we've read many of the press releases about those public companies that are rolling these programs out and quite frankly, you look at their earnings and you look at their revenues and you look at their grosses and it's really not working. Um, the, the major, what, what happened, Autotrader, Cars.com, CarsDirect.com, TrueCar, those companies, they, they were thriving when car dealers were not giving the customer the information that they really wanted. Uh, they want to know a transactional price. They want to know down payment, monthly payments, lease options. They want to know what they can get for their trade. They want to know what we can do to help them on financing. For the most part, the majority of all you proactive dealers uh, sitting in this audience right now, your website now does that. And really, we're giving the customers the information that they need to make a decision. And if you're doing that, you're grabbing share and, and you're growing your business. Um, so it's nothing new to the, to the people in this room. Now, the two variables that I don't think we're ever going to solve are going to be the finance end, uh, as Matt said, what's the advance, what's the credit, what's the trade, what's the negative equity, uh, what's the bank going to require for steps. I mean, that whole module and, of course, the, the uh, trade-in module. I mean, you know, we, we need to see the car for the most part, or we need to have an educated guess. But if that educated guess is, is going to be something we're going to guarantee to the customer, it's going to be on the low side, and you're probably going to miss the car deal. So um, I'm, I'm a real big believer in giving the customers all the information that they're going to need. Um, I, but I do think we're a ways away from actually doing a transaction. I, I know some used car dealers are doing it right now, and you know we'll get the real story on what their wholesale loss is or what some of the financing uh, ramifications are down the road. Okay. Brett? I mean, 56% of the U.S. population has bad credit. I mean, the, most of those business models are written based on I gotta stop you. Rick had a look on his eyes, like not not where I'm at. Well, <laughs> it's, I mean, he, he's looking at his mark. He's looking at market specific. <laughs> I, I mean, there's no doubt you can pick out markets where higher end folks live and the, and that the their credit is higher. But I'm just, if you want to take a generality, 56% of the U.S. population has bad credit. One of the things, if Rick has all the 700 beacons, 
90% of those. Oh, it's higher in your area? Oh, I'm sorry. 90% of those 700 beacons are over advanced. They got a debt to income issue. Every dealer, the dealers that are in the room and the ones that are on this panel, we spend 80% of our time trying to get the deal done for the customer that, that, that knows what they want. They come in, I'm ready to buy this car, but they think they're going to get a 2% rate when they qualify for a 6% rate. And most of it, if they have good credit, is, is because they, they spend three grand a month and they make 3500 And so the bank changes that based on that situation. So as long as you have that situation in play on the finance side, the customer's got to come in. We have to switch cars. We have to do some things with the trade. Secondary, you have the trade thing. And then third is just the nature of human nature is, is that most customers that come in today still come in for one vehicle and they buy another because they don't really know what's available. They get online, they, they narrow it down, they find two or three they think they like, and then they come in and physically touch it and their idea changes. When you hear the online buying model, they're talking about the consumer reports crowd that was the first ones on the internet. They know exactly what they want. They know they're high powered. Uh, uh, well-to-do people. They don't want to go into a dealership. The trade's not a big deal. Finance is not a big deal. And I think those transactions will go online if they're not online already. I think everybody here has customers like that, that they drop the car in the driveway, they get a text from them, or they get an email or something along those lines, and they move through that very quickly. But that's not the majority of the population or the majority of the business. Rick Rackhart. Now, Brett just hit the nail on the head. I mean, you can't have the perfect deal. No one walks in and just has the perfect scenario with a 740 beacon and no no trade. They're completely fine with the internet price and yeah, let me get all that product to help protect it as well. If that's the majority of your business, congratulations, you're, you're, you're in a market that I envy you. you know, the, the online buying, I, I think the part of starting the process, as much information as you can provide someone, that overload of accurate information on vehicle detail pages, about the dealership, about the process, letting them know what they're doing. And if they can start the deal and feel like they're entering some information to help save time, it's still just a marketing tool with the mindset of, you still got to go to the dealership. I'm not going to buy something that costs $20,000 or more without seeing it first. I mean, if, unless it's some cookie cutter box thing, it, it doesn't matter. It's just not the way I'm going to buy it. And I don't think there's more than 5% of the population that feels that way right now. I think you got a small percentage, it's become a hot button, but right now I think it is all complete hype. and. and you're going to get some that maybe decide to do it so they can be that early adopter and brag about, oh, yeah, I bought this car online. And this, but is it really a reality? I don't, I don't think so. If it was, why did you, know, you got Carvana and BP and then Vroom just goes out and quite, you know, raises $95 million to buy Texas Direct because they need a big brick-and-mortar building to do their operation. It's not going to kill dealerships. One of the first online buying outfits just bought a physical dealership because they need that to be a fit end of their puzzle. So there's going to be pieces that fit, but it's not for everyone. Um, you know, Matt, I'll let you weigh in on that. Yeah, I, I really agree with the guys. I think we, we all know that, that you have to be willing to do what the customer wants. And we guide them on the path that we want. If they have a certain path they want to be on, then we have to be willing to, to help them with that transaction. Guy's, guy's leased his fourth F-150, and he's got 22,000 miles on it, and he's getting another one in the same color. Yes, every dealer in here can do that deal without them ever walking in the dealership. No problem. I drop off doctors and lawyer cars to, to their work all the time. But is that going to be the norm? No. And 
it pretty much took them visiting the dealership for the first car sale before I could get to that. I didn't just lease someone their first car because they called up and said, hey, is that thing $299? I mean, you'd, you'd, you'd imagine the, the remorse you'd get from clients that sat in the car for the first time and said, wow, this seat's terrible. Um, so I, I know that it'll be something we all want to cater to, and I think dealership-wise, we probably all want to set up a process to be willing to pick up a trade at a house, bring it to the house, dealership appraise it, do all these things to make someone not have to leave their house, but I don't think it's ever going to replace what we do. All right, and we have, we're going to ask one more question, and then after that, we're going to give you guys a chance to give your closing statements and, uh, and share a current maybe best practice that you do. But the last question here I want to ask, we're a digital dealer, and... Matt, I'm going to start with you. Internet sales, it, it seems like it's more of a race to the bottom price versus good price. And I guess the second part of that, have we abandoned selling more of the experience? I want you to touch base on that a little bit, and then I'm just going to go down the line here and end with Rick before I, we wrap it up. I think that it's, it's uh, the fear of Internet sales comes from everybody thinking the, the stigma of, oh, God, it's the lowest price that wins all the business. But some of the highest volume internet dealers out there don't have the lowest price, you know. So, um, no, I, I don't think that internet sales force you to the lowest price. I think, honestly, what's going on right now is the manufacturer's volume programs are forcing everyone, new car-wise, to chase the lowest price. Used car-wise, it's supply and demand. If you've got a car and you know you've got the black one with the tan interior that they only made 10 of, then you're going to be able to hold a profit. If you've got the same Taurus that every dealer in the, the country has, then you're going to have to have a great price. So it's an equal balance, but I don't think it forces you to have low profits. I think there's a lot of profitable Internet dealers out there that understand supply and demand. Well, we're, we're in a metro market, and in our Honda Metro, uh, I think we have nine dealers within a 40-minute drive. Um, we outsell the next closest Honda dealer by 100 units per month, and we average about five to 600 more per copy than the next closest guy. And the, the reason and how we do that is we give the customer what they're looking for. When somebody submits on our website, we have a um, pure price tab. When they hit that tab, we don't send back a autoresponder. We don't send back another template that says, you know, tell us more about your trade, tell us more about what you want. We give them the price on the vehicle they're looking for. Now, we use a company called Stealth Shopper, which if you haven't heard of it, it's one company you definitely want to sign up for. And what they literally do is they go to you name for your competition, they shop the competition, you have a portal, and you can look at every shop and see every template that was sent out by your competition, what they're saying, how they're saying it, and what pricing they're coming in at, in addition to being able to listen to the sales calls on that particular shop. So we're not the lowest price. Uh, we want to come in middle of the pack, but what we want to do is we want to blow the customer away with the experience. You know, uh, David, you were talking about experience. I mean, people want transparency. They want the information that they want. And, and, and everybody needs to develop in your own dealership what's called a unique selling proposition, which is what do you do that nobody else does? And if you have a definitive USP and it's on your homepage and you're able to communicate that to the customer, it's not about price. And then we talk about the training module, what you need to train your people at. Our, our statement is, 
We understand that price is important. We also understand that experience is even more important. We're, and, and the factors that are going to be involved in you making a great decision are what we can pay you for your trade, down payment, monthly payment, and interest rates. We promise when it's all said and done, that package that we're going to be able to offer will be better than any deal in our market. When can you come in? We're available at 3 o'clock or 6 o'clock tonight and book the appointment. And when you give them the price and you give them the USP and you teach your people to word track, that's how you book appointments. Right. I mean, I don't think there's any difference. I mean, the internet is, is, is to me, is an advertising medium. And it's a, it's a phone book on steroids. It's, a, it's several things, but I mean, to, I mean, there's no difference. I mean, everybody's on the internet. So, I mean, every, to me, every sale that comes in is on the internet. So you can take the credit, most credit challenged person that, is the least educated, and they found us on their smartphone. So, and we're in a very low demo area with with uh, low incomes and and low IQs, and they're all on the they're all on their smartphones. And and I'm telling you, they're looking at it. That doesn't mean that they've got all the information. That's where the assumption is. Is the assumption comes in is they're all going to come in with MIT educations, and they're going to know more about the car business than you do. And I, and, 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 and I know I had a medical issue three or four years ago and got on uh, a couple of the medical sites. And before you know it, I couldn't walk. I, I'd given myself 15 more conditions. And I tell the salespeople and the sales managers, you do this 15, 20 times a day. They do it once every four years. Who's got the advantage? So, Rick, you know, it's all about value. You know, the lowest price, you're not going to win the lowest price battle. That's impossible because there's always going to be somebody that's a corner used car lot that doesn't recondition cars. It's buying salvage titles and wreck car faxes. You want to go in a pricing match with that card? No way. Look at CarMax. If it was all about the lowest price, they wouldn't be as successful as they are. People are looking for value. They're looking for experience. So, no, I mean, the, the, the value-added items is something that I really like. We, we do the Motor Trend Certified Program on all of our used cars because it creates consistency. Consistency in our marketing, in our merchandising, in our reconditioning process. Time to market's real big. Velocity's more important than other. And if a car ages and you're losing money on it, you got the wrong car in the first place. It's that whole supply and demand factor. Go back and look at your sourcing and how you're acquiring them, what you're acquiring, and what your merchandising, reconditioning, and pricing philosophy is from day one. And, and the race to the bottom won't even, won't even happen. You end up selling every car, making enough money that it all works out in the end. Okay. Gentlemen, we're going to take about 60 seconds. Just uh, leave your closing thoughts. And in that, possibly just talk for a moment about something you can leave as maybe a best practice. And we'll try to do that in uh, 60 seconds, right? Good luck. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> right, I'm long-winded. Um, I, I guess our, our theme for, for the year, and it, you're going to see a lot of us have the, the same mindset. Um, Delivering something that the other dealers aren't is what's going to set you aside from everybody. Uh, in our case, we're trying to end the excuse. Uh, there's a lot of car dealers and, and management out there that are still living in the, the past. You, ha you can hold sales reps and managers accountable. You can make people do their job. Uh, treat your dealership like you own Go like it's Google. You don't get to go to Google and not punch in or not make your phone calls or not do your data entry or whatever it is. Treat your staff the same way and give, show them what's expected and hold them accountable and you'll have a much better year than you did last year because there's a lot of us that don't do a wonderful job of holding the people accountable to what's expected for what they do. Outstanding, Matt. Thank you. John Marazzi. 
Um, I would say look at your mobile site and really get on it and look at what your customers are experiencing because when people go to your mobile site, they want to do one of four things. They want location, they want to call you, they want to book service, or they want to search inventory. And so many dealers make the mistake of, of, of designing their mobile from desktop down instead of mobile up. The way you should be looking at your mobile site and looking the way it arranges as soon as you download it and then adjust that to your desktop. So, for instance, if you go to brandonhonda.com, you'll be able to see what, what I'm saying. But so many dealers have sliders and videos and irrelevant things on their site. And what it does is it causes people to check out. You need to look at your Google Analytics. You need to look at what percent of your people are coming in through mobile. And you need to look at that bounce rate on mobile. The, the reason they're bouncing is because you're not allowing the customer to quickly and easily do the things that they want. Don't listen to your website companies because they all tell you you need sliders with deals and people don't care about any of that. What they want to do is they want to be able to function and operate on your mobile. So shop your store, submit a lead, try and appraise a car, try and do a credit app and see what happens. And, and I, I think you'll see that the more you improve that, the better results you're going to get. Thank you, John. Brad Oop. Our entire focus is leadership. I mean, we can talk about the, the best program and, and the best advertising program and the, and, the, and the latest, greatest idea, but my entire feeling is if I can grow the level of leadership in our leaders, then we're going to get the best programs, we're going to get the best salespeople, and we're going to create excellence. And so we focus on that every day, every hour, every minute, every week, every month. And we, we have weekly review meetings and we're growing that leadership. We're raising their level and raising their lid so that they see things at a higher level that helps us with the relentless pursuit of perfection and we'll end up with excellence. Well said. Rick Reichardt. That's strong. Um, my focus is productivity. I think a lot of these companies and these goods and services and tools that we're being sold um, may have a place only if the process and the people are in place to inc increase productivity per employee. 2016 is going to be a strong year. It's going to be another big, big year of growth. I can't guarantee that in 2017 or 18. So pr processes had better be rock solid. I'll give you one really good idea. This is going to sound crazy, and it's really more for dealers and GMs. Send an email to all of your unsold internet leads from the past 30 days within the subject line, the word still looking with a question mark, and hit send. It's all you got to do. We all have great internet departments. We have the best at what they do. We have BDCs and internet managers and all this other stuff. They change statuses on customers. They think they bought elsewhere. Customers don't always tell the truth. I know, they don't. We don't give prizes for withholding information. They think we do. From taking a dealer or a GM's email address and sending still looking, we tested this with our um, import division a couple months ago and out of the 500 leads we had we had sold you know our 12 15 percent we sold 11 additional cars just we didn't ask any more questions still looking and send the email it'll blow your mind awesome all right guys thank you let's give uh, matt lasco john marazzi brett oob and rick reichardt a hand i want to thank you guys <laughs>